Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, the science community, industry, and policymakers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. This week, I have Andrea Brackhouse from Auckland University on the show as we take a look at the third stage of research comparing pasture-raised lamb and beef versus grain-fed and protein alternatives. This has been carried out by researchers, scientists and dietitians from Ag Research, the Reddit Institute and the University of Auckland. Let's check in with Andrea now. Hello Andrea, thank you for talking with me today and welcome to the show. Mm, Thank you for the invite, I've been looking forward to it. Please can you tell me about the work that you do? Um, Well, I might just start out with a bit of background on myself to sort of put it into context. So I'm an academic um, at the University of Auckland. I'm in the Faculty of Medical Health Science in Nutrition. Um, So I have an interest in sort of bioactives and functional foods. Um, And I've been working on sort of different, you know, products, you know, for health and, and sport. And I'm also a registered dietitian. So... You know, this project is really looking at, you know, red meat as a functional food and, and what it might offer, you know, health in health-wise to a sort of a, a, a generally healthy population. Um, so, yeah, so that's, I guess that's an overview on on my sort of background and yeah. this project. Now, tell me, how has lockdown in Auckland impacted you and your work and is all okay with you and your family? Yeah, no, thank you. It's very nice of you to ask. Um, so I'm actually situated in Rotorua, so I've managed to get out of Auckland. Okay. We have a farm here. Yep. So it's been really nice. For me personally, it's been really nice. As far as the research goes, um, we obviously had to stop um, recruiting more participants in, in our longer sort of trial. Okay. But, yeah, as a research team, we had discussed the impact of COVID prior to lockdown. And so we had some really good strategies in place um, to make sure that we were able to get the data that we needed from participants that were currently enrolled. So. I mean, I've got to hand it to my research team. Um, they've done a really good job in, you know, keeping the participants, you know, in the study and, and getting the measures. And also the participants are actually really keen to be involved in, in the study. So we've actually had no issues in recruitment. So, yeah, overall, it could be worse. Indeed. As you've touched on, you are taking part in some, well, I think some very interesting research on comparing pasteurised lamb and beef versus grain-fed and, of course, a protein alternative. Can you give me a bit more of an overview of the research in general and, indeed, your specific involvement? Yeah, so um, you've already heard from some of my research colleagues and they, they have talked about Objective 1 and 2, which are really looking at the composition of um, the meat versus the alternative and then also looking at you know, models of digestion and, and, you know, what are the differences between, you know, grass, grain, beef and lamb and then this sort of meat alternative. So that's a really nice place to start and gives us some good information 
to then roll into the human trial. So I come in at a at what we call objective three, which is the one of the human clinical trials. So um, for objective three, this is a sort of an, an acute meal study. So we have had 30 participants. The same 30 participants consume four different meals. And the meals differed between the grass-fed or grain-fed uh, beef, the lamb, and then this sort of meat alternative. And the meals, we, we basically turned it into a sort of a mixed meal that we attempted to blind, which means that we were trying to make sure that the, the participants didn't necessarily know what they were consuming. So it was put into a burrito as part of a mixed meal, and the only difference was obviously that protein source. Mm. Now, I will say, despite our efforts, we asked the participants, you know, what what were you, what did you consume today? And, you know, three out of four times they were able to guess whether they were taking the meat alternative, but they weren't really sure. They knew they were either taking meat, but they weren't too sure whether it was grass or grain or lamb that they were consuming. So, yeah. So mm -hmm. as that blind, so we did that blinding. The other thing we did do just to kind of um, put across what we actually did is we also made sure that the person cooking the meal was different to the person collecting all the questionnaires and the blood so that mm. very minimal chance that there would be sort of selective reporting or anything like that. Mm. Mm. Now, what we actually looked at, it's probably what you're more interested in in that study, was we looked at um, what, what ended up in the blood so we looked at blood levels of amino acids, fatty acids and lipids. We looked at various nutrient intake markers, so vitamins and minerals. Um, we also looked at inflammation markers. And then we also asked some questions about, you know, appetite, hunger and satiety. Mm. And yeah, so, so the kind of the reason why we, we looked at these blood markers uh, following one meal is because it may give you some idea of the long-term clinical implications of consuming that type of meal over a long period of time. So, for example, you know, if, if you had a rise in, you know, cholesterol or triglycerides or some kind of blood lipids following a particular meal, you might be interested in the long-term implications regarding heart disease, things like that. So it gives you a basis or something to then go, oh, this might be interesting. This may have clinical implications, you know, for for this particular, you know, clinical condition. Okay. So when you talk about fatty acids, amino acid profiles and neurotransmitters, are you able to explain yep. exactly what these are and, and the relevance and impacts on our bodies? Yeah. Um, so I'll probably talk about the fatty acids. So, um, for example, the evidence on grass-fed beef, I mean, you've sort of heard a little bit about this from the other speakers, um, that grass-fed beef uh, has a potentially has a higher 
um, amount of these polyunsaturated fatty acids. Mm. And so, you know, what are they and why might, so we might be looking at these sort of polyunsaturated fatty acids in the blood. So we want to know, does the, does the food end up in the bloodstream and then are we able to see higher sort of concentrations of it? So with polyunsaturated fatty acids, um, there's a different sorts of types. So we've got omega-3s, omega-6s, you've probably heard of these terms. And these, we think that these might be quite helpful for, you know, lowering inflammation or, you know, lowering sort of chronic disease risk, things like that. Yeah, also, okay. Yeah, that in Western diets, that potentially that polyunsaturated fat diet intake is, is a bit low. So um, if we can show that perhaps grass-fed beef does actually contain higher amounts of these polyunsaturated fatty acids and, and we can show that there's an increase in the in the blood, then maybe that has implications for you know longer term. Yeah, okay. It's good to get a bit of a, um, I guess, a bit of an understanding around that because the common words and phrases that people hear today, particularly um, with supplements and, and different foods, yeah. my view is that um, no one actually really knows what they mean. I certainly don't. So it, it's quite good to hear about what they actually mean and how they actually impact other bodies. So that's really, really interesting. Now, just on... Um, yeah, no, you're sorry. It's probably, I mean, that's that, you know, I've talked about polyunsaturated fats. The other thing I should just mention about grass-fed beef is it's supposed to have lower amounts of these saturated fats. And certainly there's a, been a lot in the literature and researched about the effect of saturated fats on, you know, long-term, you know, heart disease. So, again, meat is sort of thought to be something that has, you know, a high saturated fat which it doesn't necessarily and that red meat may contribute to sort of heart disease well that maybe grass-fed maybe not all meats are the same um, maybe grass-fed has actually higher polyunsaturated fats and less saturated fat that may have a very very different health outcome um mm. it's you know how it's been um produced yeah okay and we'll get into some of the results uh, that you've found so far but do you know what impacts there are to food that animals eat based on their intake for example grain versus mm. pasture and are the impacts similar to how humans can be impacted on, on yeah. what are we eat yeah look I've, i mean i've sort of mentioned the you know the grass-fed beef and then and i think that the objective sort of one and two has, has nicely shown that, you know, that the content, the, the particularly the fatty acid content of the, you know, of the beef or, or lamb is different based on its being, you know, what, what it, how it's been raised. Mm. And there is one study, so, so then I guess you're asking, does that translate into have you know better um, nutrient intake for 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 us as humans and that that hasn't been studied quite as well so there's one study that was done in Australia and they did um, feed participants with grass-fed beef for about four weeks and they did show increases in these polyunsaturated fats in the bloodstream but it hasn't been studied 
widely and so I think that's one of the values, one of the studies that I that I didn't mention is our objective four, which is this kind of 10-week longer-term intervention where, you know, we'll, we'll hopefully see that by feeding, you know, red meat that we actually see changes in the fatty acid composition of, you know, red blood cells or, you know, um, or the bloodstream. Andrea, so... What have you found so far in the trial? Have there been any effects on the body by consuming either pasture-raised lamb or beef versus grain-fed, and indeed the protein alternative? Well, I mean, um, so our our longer-term study that that with our eighty participants that's going on at the moment. Okay, so that's going on at the moment. Yep. Yeah, so that was going on at the moment, but so I can't comment on that. What I can say is our our the objective three, so our short term study, have finished that. Mm. And what we've found so far, we, we've really been focused on the amino acid results because um, that's what we're we're sort of working on at the moment. What I can say is that. Um, for example, our essential amino acid um, content. So, so in that objective three, we not only looked at what happens, what ends up in the bloodstream, but we also analysed the amino acid composition of the meal that we provided to the participants. Now, when we looked at, say, essential amino acids, which are amino acids that we can't, produce in the body you know ourselves so we need to get them from the diet hence the word essential Mm. Um, and so when we look at the essential amino acid um, profile of our red meats versus our meat alternative we find that for example essential amino acid content is is lower in the meat alternative versus the three you know red meat options and what's really interesting is, yeah, it's a little bit lower in when we look at the meal composition, but then when you look at the, <clears throat> the plasma, what ends up in the blood, the difference becomes even more exacerbated. So with, so with the meat alternatives, it's got a, a, a sort of a lower or a, quite a different amino acid profile and it, and it is it gets worse when it's there's something about the digestion absorption of the amino acids from the meat alternative that is um, inferior to, to red meat hmm. which is really interesting that is interesting why do you think that might be I I don't I think that it might be to do with either the way that meat is cooked or perhaps a meat alternative and what happens to the protein structure, which either makes it more easily digested or perhaps more poorly digested, or it might be other ingredients that are, that are in the um, meat alternatives that are perhaps inhibiting digestion of the amino acids it's it, I'm not too sure but it's it's an interesting story because these these meat alternatives are you know they're saying well we have the same total protein content as as meat as real meat um, therefore we should be nutritionally equivalent well that's just not that's just not the case um, 
So, because not only, you know, we're talking about the types of amino acids that are quite different, but then also the digestion and absorption is seems to be different. So they're just not nutritionally equivalent. It, mm. it just, it's just not that way. Um, That's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, leucine... For example, leucine is one particular amino acid that's really important for stimulating muscle growth. It's, it's quite um, a key amino acid. And when you look at the, the burrito content, the, the leucine content was sort of, it was lower in the main alternative, but it wasn't too bad. But then, you know, in the plasma, it was quite a lot lower as far as, you know, absorption. So that's going to have potential implications for you know muscle synthesis and 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 development down the track so to have more of the meat alternative to you know get the same equivalent nutrition out of it so just by taking a whole bunch of synthetic products or a highly processed product with the same components as uh, real meat doesn't necessarily translate to the same nutritional value that a natural product does have. Yeah, no, I, I think it, the the I guess the way I tend to think about it is around nutrient density. So, what we really want to be encouraging is is um, nutrient dense foods and and not in excess. You know, we want foods in moderation. That's sort of the mantra of dietitians, you know, um, worldwide is, is this sort of idea around moderation. And so maybe we need to be focusing on nutrient-dense foods in moderation that are providing a, a whole matrix of, of nutrients. So, I mean, I've just touched on the amino acids. We haven't even gone into, you know, the vitamins or fatty acids or any of those other which, which are, are likely to have the same sorts of profiles um, because meat is a nutrient-dense um, product. It, it's already a value-add product. You touched on, I guess, um, diets in terms of little of everything is best as you know, being the mantra. How are people's diets evolving throughout the world? And what are some of the key drivers of change? Uh, yeah, that probably requires a 20-minute sort of conversation on its own. But, you know, if I sort of look at um, the, you know, some of the trends that are going on at the moment in sort of dietary circles, then, you know, climate change and the impact of, of climate on, you know, the food production and then what people are consuming it is having a big impact. So, for example, the you know, there's this Eat Lancet planetary diet that sort of came out, um, you know, arguing around a, a climate-friendly diet and sort of um, limiting sort of protein products to sort of 70 grams a day to, you know, support planetary health. So, and I think that these sorts of ideas around you know, supporting a healthy food system um, and reducing, you know, therefore reducing animal products is is definitely a trend. And that's why some of these alternative products are are really coming in. And they're, you know, as an answer to, you know, people's trend towards reducing meat intake, 
and then alternatively consuming these products. So yeah, that it's it's a bit of a concern because um, these products aren't always that great. And and certainly with the amino acids, I mean this this isn't just our research that has shown these meat alternatives to have a potentially different and less desirable amino acid profiles. It's not just us. I mean, there's other research published in Nature that have shown this kind of similar sort of profile. So, yeah, it's a bit of a worry, I would say. Yeah, that is a bit of a worry. Um, I guess on the environment side of things, uh, particularly here in New Zealand, the farming community and the science community and indeed industry are doing great things in terms of reducing the environmental impact farming has uh, which is great and it's happening as we speak so the environment stuff aside you are concerned around the uptake in terms of the nutritional value that people are consuming these alternative protein products yeah i think yeah absolutely i think that they i just i see the claims you know all the same amount of protein as meat and and i see those claims and it's yeah it is certainly a a bit of a worry um i mean we'll get we'll get sort of more information as we start to unravel you know the rest of the results but even what we found so far is definitely concerning um and i think that we we should at this point you know there's not really i can't really see a good alternative for red meat um as far as a nutrient-dense um, you know, high quality food product, um, you know, as long as it's consumed in moderation as part of a healthy diet. So again, when it comes to this other objective, we're providing red meat or a vegetarian diet as part of, you know, healthy eating. And if we can achieve that, then it, it's it's probably preferable to these alternatives that are available at the moment. Do you think the average farmer should be worried? I mean, we are a food-producing nation and um, it's a really important um, sector for New Zealand, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i not sure because if I think about just sort of the conversations with the participants, I mean, the participants in Objective 4, our 10-week intervention, are young adults, so... Mm. You know, they are age, what is it, 20 to sort of 35. And so this is a group that are, you know, considering consuming less meat. Um, However, most of the sort of struggles or complaints about the diet have come from the vegetarian group. Now, yeah, so (laughs) Mm. I think people are... I think, yeah, you know, people are interested. Everyone is interested in in climate change, and, and um, but the answer to that, and and whether it comes from reducing red meat, or is it a better approach to tackle food waste, or is it a better approach to you know ensure that farmers are you know paid adequately for this nutrient dense you know, high quality product. Um, so I think that they, to me, they are, it needs to be a food systems approach to climate change. And that means farmers need to be 
part of that discussion. I don't think we need to be too concerned that um, that the trend is going to be go so far as to people not consuming red meat at all. I just I just don't necessarily see that. Mm, mm. Look, it's really interesting work. I know you're really busy, Andrea. So I thank you very, very much for your time today. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Angus. The continued trend and evidence is that plant-based alternatives are quite frankly, well in my view, awful products that are highly processed and no match for New Zealand's natural grass-fed protein. I think there needs to be better regulation on these protein alternatives and better protection for the real deal. I think a more accurate term for these products, these alternative products, is something like, I don't know, lab slabs? Any connotation or comparison to real meat leveraged to sell these fake products is an insult to hard-working farmers. That's all for me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.